You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are back with another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostraker of Ravens Wire. This season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. See all the action from every game with full game replays. You can also replay an entire game and catch all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. And we are back here on our midweek edition of Locked on Ravens. That means another fan nail back, and that also means Cole Jackson of Russell Street Report is back here to answer those questions and break down the Ravens' 33-16 win over the Texans. Cole, it was a great win. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, buddy. Another another week, another win. Um, but I, the, the butterflies are starting as we go into a Monday nighter with KC, so I don't want to move too far down the road because I know we're going to wrap up uh, wrap up Sunday's win, but uh, we're starting to do that transition into the, the nervousness of the next challenge. It's difficult because Baltimore, they have a season-defining game in week three. It's early in the season, and Baltimore, you know, as I've kind of alluded to, the Ravens faithful, the Ravens organization, they, they, they circled two games when this calendar came out, when their schedule came out. It was week three in Kansas City or against Kansas City and week 11 against the Tennessee Titans. You know, you, you can say what you want about the divisional matchups. Those two games are the two biggest games on the Ravens schedule, getting revenge for the 2018 and 2019 losses against Kansas City and also that playoff loss against the Titans. But Cole, the Ravens getting off to a hot start here in 2020, 2-0. The Ravens getting a 33-16 to win over the Houston Texans. It was an overall, I'll say, solid effort in all three phases of the game. There was some good, and there was some bad. And we shouldn't be expecting anything perfect from these guys. Again, no preseason, shortened offseason. We saw a rash of injuries across the entire league. And we'll get into Tavon Young's injury a bit here as the show goes on. But I want to start with Lamar Jackson and specifically what you saw out of him because he was able to operate from a clean pocket, from a pocket with pressure in it. What did you see from him as a quarterback? Uh, I think he really expanded on what we saw last year. And it was interesting. If you rewind to 2019 and you look at the uh, first game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, he got a little phased in that game. And it it was probably his worst passing effort of the year last year. It would either be that game or the the Cleveland Browns week three loss. Um, So those two were back-to-back games. And then after that is when he really took off and, and chased down that MVP. But what we saw this week was... He answered, and so he started uh, the the second sack J.J. Watt had. It was actually Lamar Jackson that ran into it, and he just kind of panicked against a four-man rush, and I think his read wasn't there, and he, he, he panicked. He didn't trust his offensive line. He didn't step up in the pocket, um, and on this given play, there was actually a clean pocket, which was not a really big theme of the day, but uh, then he on the very next play, Houston uh, blitzes him, uh, specifically from the right side, and J.J. Watt actually comes free. And what did Lamar do? He just stepped into his throw and completed it. And this is where I see the transition of Lamar as a passer, and this is where I see the growth as he as he, as he he approaches the mental side of the game. So rather than getting phased, I just got sacked, now they're sending pressure, he just moves on, scrapes it off, onto the next play. And I think that's what really showed the difference between 
2020 Lamar Jackson and 2019 Lamar Jackson um, is just that mental fortitude. So, I mean, another efficient game. He's now throwing at a 77% clip. Um, it was a little bit lower on the average. Uh, they, they went to a little bit more short passing style. But, I mean, you're seeing the precision and you're seeing the accuracy. And he's showing you that uh, there's not too many throws on that field that he cannot make. Yeah, Jackson has just improved so much as a passer throughout his first few years in the league. We see just almost every week, it's week-to-week improvement that we see from him. And look, again, it's not going to be perfect. You mentioned the J.J. Watt sack he ran into, but he responded. You know, if he was a rookie or if he was still in his second season, he might not have been able to recover from that because we saw, as you mentioned, he got kind of flustered in a few games. I also turned to the San Francisco game where it was monsooning in Baltimore. He said the weather kind of got to him a bit, but he responded well and really, I think, showed improvement throughout the game. A unit that showed improvement throughout the game against Houston for me, Cole, it was the offensive line. Now, this was a showing by the offensive line that did not get many rave reviews, but there are some positives to take from it. Now, I know that there are some things this offensive line has to clean up, especially going into a matchup with Kansas City in week three. I wanted to get your perspective, Cole. How do you think this offensive line did in week two? Yeah, so I actually just dropped uh, my article. Uh, it's a new series on Russell Street Report called Film Don't Lie, and I focused it on uh, the Ravens' pass blocking. So, um We'll, we'll, we'll just look at both sides of the line. I, I mean, the left side has been super solid. Uh, Bradley Bozeman has been the biggest surprise on the O-line. And you'll remember me earlier, before the season started, I was suggesting that he should be moved to center due to his athletic limitations that he showed on film in 2019. And he's uh, making me put my foot in my mouth. Uh, he looks a lot quicker, a lot more fluid. Um, and he's really showing that progression, and he, he's he's played solid. He's been, uh, outside of Ronnie Stanley, who's playing at an all-pro level again, he's been our best offensive lineman. So really, when it comes to the left side of that offensive line, I have absolutely no concerns. Like, they, they're just playing solid. And it was funny, because what Houston kept doing is they would disguise a blitz, and we've seen this in Baltimore under Wink Martindale for the last couple of years, and they would drop their left side of the line back into coverage so they weren't sending like seven or eight men and they would send four at the right side. They clearly saw on film what we talked about with Cleveland and that was the struggles of the right side of the offensive line. Um, and I'll start with Orlando Brown. I think the shortened offseason and the the lack of, of prep has hurt him the most. He, he looks slower this year. He just doesn't look himself. Um, but he's also made some mental errors, and, and that's one thing I tried to focus on at the start of my article. Um, the first sack that J.J. Watt had, it just didn't – it looked like him and Patrick Ricard weren't on the same page um, in terms of who had Watt, and Watt ends up running free um, on a play-action bootleg, and they're just not going to really run a naked bootleg like that at J.J. Watt. So uh, there was some sort of communication error. So Brown's off to a really – really questionable start where but keep in mind in the first two weeks he saw miles garrett and jj watt so it's not like he's just playing um you know a couple scrubs he's playing two of the best in the game right now and then we go to tyree phillips (laughs) i had a lot of hope for him he's showing improvement in some things uh there's still some questions about him he he really needs to uh he really needs to work on getting his anchor down we know he has the strength but he's not really showing it the other thing that's very specific that I've noticed is his pass protection footwork looks a lot more like you'd see from an offensive tackle, which isn't necessarily a surprise. He was a left tackle in college, but he's not hes not making the adjustment to guard 
Um, and it's really having that quick footwork. So that he's struggling with that. And then there's Matt Skura. Skura hasn't gotten a lot of the attention. It's mostly been focused on Tyree Phillips, but he's struggling. And he's uh, one of uh, one of the best Twitter followers I have is uh, he's at Denard13. He's one of the very best at, at looking at film. And he mentioned that he's noticing teams are lining up on Matt Skura's left in the A-gap. And if you remember, it was Matt Skura's left knee, the one that he hurt. So teams are capitalizing on that. So he he had a rough game. There was one where he got bull rushed nine yards into the the back of the pocket, and Lamar had to throw the ball away. You know, we got we got concerns, and it really raises the question of what to do personnel wise. But uh, at the end of the day, John Harbaugh came out and said after I went back and watched the film, it looked better than I thought, and it was funny because I came away with that same impression. And you said it best, like it did get better in the second half. A lot of the stuff in my film study, a lot of the negatives were in the first two quarters, not so much in the third and fourth quarter. Now, to be fair, we ran, we only passed the ball twice in the fourth quarter, but there wasn't a lot in the third quarter. It was mostly in the second, so I think it was kind of that all compounding on a couple of drives, um, especially with one drive ending in a sack. I think that kind of left it in our minds that they played worse than they did. And this is a unit where I think you have to exercise a little bit of caution with it. You know, you mentioned Phillips and Skura, guys who were kind of coming into their own for different reasons. And the Ravens have some personnel's backups who if they continue to struggle and it becomes a huge concern, they they can put those guys in there because they have the depth to do so. But right now it's just those two kind of feeling out their way across, you know, what it's like to be in the NFL if you're Phillips or what it's like to come back from this injury because nobody expected Skura to be this healthy this early in the season. You know, suppose he was supposed to miss the first six games, go on the physically unable to perform list. He's had a tremendous recovery. So hopefully those guys will be able to kind of step their games up as the season goes on and they'll need them. The Ravens will need them to step their game up as they head and play the Kansas City Chiefs. But Cole, on the defensive side of the ball, I sense some improvement, both with the Ravens' run defense and with the pass rush. And you know what? Let's just give the Browns credit. The Browns' offensive line improved, and it it is really good. The Browns' run game, it is really good. And against the Texans, it seemed like the Ravens got back to what they were supposed to be doing with their run defense and the pass rush. How did you see those two aspects of the game going for Baltimore against Houston? Well, when it comes to the run D, I I absolutely agree. And I I speculated before the game that I thought we'd see a little bit better because Houston runs a lot of gap concepts rather than zone. And it was really Cleveland zone runs that gave us problems. And those are the same uh, zone concepts that we struggled with last year. So I thought with the improved personnel... Uh, Clay Campbell moving Brandon Williams back to the one technique. Um, I've and, and Derek Wolf, of course. Um, I thought we'd see a little bit more improvement against Cleveland, but I mean, again, you got to remember this is that was their first game together as a unit, they got to work out some things. So, um, in this game, though, like against the run, they were fantastic. The uh, they were controlling the gaps. Brandon Williams was a monster in the in the A gaps. Uh, I thought Derek Wolf had a pretty underrated game and clay campbell was just so disruptive uh you know it's one of those things where campbell may not be making a ton of solo sacks but he's always you know causing disruption he's forcing them to make cuts um and it's it's at that point where you can get linebackers in there and and get some gang tackles going and david johnson had nowhere to go all day as for the pass rush um it was a very interesting tale of two halves very similar to our pass protection uh we made some adjustments at halftime and i think we had maybe two quarterback hits in the in the first half 
And I think we had 11 in the second half. Um, uh, our friend over on Twitter, it's at Yoshi5052. He's tracking the QB hits, and he, he just put it out the graphics. So you can go see it on there. But I'm pretty sure it was it was two or three in the first half and 10 or 11 in the second half. So very similar to pass protection. We, we got after Deshaun Watson a little bit more. Um, I think we ended up taking him down four times, which isn't great. I mean, that's been the biggest thing. Like we saw Jihad Ward get absolutely stiff armed by Deshaun Watson, but I mean, you got to remember Deshaun Watson's a top five quarterback in this league right now. And we see Lamar Jackson make guys look silly. So it's not a surprise that we're going to see Watson make some plays too. But, uh, the pass rush in my opinion was a little bit more improved. I thought Matt Judon had a very underrated game. I think he led the team with six pressures, um, he didn't get home on any of them cleanly, but uh, it's good to see that type of improvement. So kind of like what we talked about, you know, we need to get that a game from, from the front four front five going into Kansas city, because I don't think we're going to be able to blitz all day and, and have success unless we're getting home very quickly. So I felt, I felt a lot better, still some, still some concerns, but definitely a lot better. And I think moving ahead to Kansas city, Cole, the chargers have a phenomenal front four. Absolutely phenomenal, and they could drop guys back into coverage while only rushing four and give Patrick Mahomes some issues because they were able to generate pressure with those four guys while also giving him nowhere to throw the football. Whereas with Baltimore, I mean, look, Don Martindale loves the blitz. It's part of his defensive scheme. We're going to see blitzes against Patrick Mahomes. You just have to put pressure on him and get him out of the pocket, make him uncomfortable, and hopefully be able to get home on some more of those pressures. But we're going to head into our first break now, and when we get back, we're going to be getting into the first round of mailbag questions. So stay tuned for that, and we'll be back soon. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need into a traditional chain storefront. Weirendorf from Point Reuse was seemingly intimidating, questioning in whether Counterman orders the parts on his computer. Choosing only the brand his warehouse happens to carry, you have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts for hundreds of manufacturers. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in there, how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com and we are back with our second segment of this Locked on Ravens Midweek Edition episode with Cole Jackson of Russell Street Report. I am Kevin Ostriker. And Cole, as we dive into these mailbag questions, again, a lot of good ones. And most of them are kind of looking ahead to Kansas City or talking about the offensive line. But I have a question of my own that I want to ask you first. I want to ask you about Tavon Young and just how this injury affects the Ravens team and personally what you think Baltimore is going to do going forward, whether it be bringing in a safety or bringing in a corner or just going with the in-house options. Yeah, so I think the Tavon Young injury has a ripple effect. Um, unfortunately, we don't really have a dedicated slot cornerback on staff right now, and uh, what it does is force them to take the approach that they took last year if they don't add outside help, and that's to move Humphrey back inside and then put Jimmy Smith outside. So the ripple effect I'm talking about is they intended to have Jimmy Smith not only as outside cornerback depth, but also he was playing dime safety and I think they were hoping to use a man up on tight ends. And I always say 
a team needs to build, you know, a sustainable future. They need to build to be a competitive team. But really, what the, a team like the Ravens are doing, they're they're building to beat a team like the Chiefs and the, a team that's going to block them getting to the AFC. We saw them do this with uh, with New England for years, going after pass rushers to get after Brady. Um, so, in my opinion, I think they that was what. Yeah, you know, obviously having the flexibility from Jimmy Smith is great no matter what. But when I when you look at it, I think that's what they were thinking, Smith. When we play Kansas City, you're going to be able to man up on Travis Kelsey, who's, you know, one of their big two threats. I mean, they have a ton of threats, but, you know, when it comes to Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, they can look at Jimmy to take away one. So now if he has to go play outside corner because Marlon Humphrey's playing inside, they lose that option. So that's the ripple effect that I see. So how would I fix it? Um I really, again, it's, if they want to do that same approach and they think Jimmy Smith's that guy, you got to find a slot cornerback. So I started on Twitter the other day the uh, the charge to get Desmond King, who is uh, unhappy on the Chargers for some reason. Beyond me, he's not playing. I can't quite figure out why. Um, he's a great player. He's in his last year of his rookie deal, so he's actually only two million against the cap right now. Um, if he's unhappy and wants out and we can get him, I'm all over that. That's my preferred route. Um, I think a lot of the vets out there, guys like Prince Amarukamara, uh, there's uh, Tremont Williams, like guys that can come in. And honestly, a lot of people are unhappy with Anthony Averett. I'm not sure how much of an upgrade they are. I think there's a reason they're unavailable right now, or they're available right now and no other teams are calling them. So my preference would be to go find a slot cornerback um, probably on the trade market and, and address it that way so that you can maintain the flexibility. Um, but if they don't do that and they go the route that they took last year, then they very merry, they may very well take the finding a safety route. And it was funny. I saw Tony Jefferson tweet the other day. There's been a lot of speculation. I mean, he's someone that knows the system. He could be brought in, but he tweeted like you go, it was something I don't want to direct quote. Cause I, it was something about, seeing all the injuries right now and people wonder why I'm not rushing back. So I'm not sure he's looking to play football right now. Um, I think he's trying to get healthy. He's seeing guys go down and, and he wants to make sure he's going to be eased into it. So uh, I would probably scratch him off. There's some other guys out there, but again, how big of upgrades are these guys? So for me, it's slot cornerback or bust. Yeah. And kind of sticking along those lines, Cole, Nico Seska asks, do you see the Ravens making a trade or free agent signing for an extra corner or is someone just going to be elevated from the practice squad? So I kind of want to focus on the second part of that question because you already pretty much answered the first. How are you comfortable or how comfortable are you with the Ravens practice squad players? And do you think that any one of those safeties like Nigel Warrior or corners could fill in? Well, it's a little tough because we didn't get to see a lot from the preseason. So guys like Nigel Warrior, I, I watched his college film and, and it looked pretty good. But uh, I haven't seen him at the NFL level, so it's hard to say. Um, one guy that does intrigue me, and he is a slot corner, is Terrell Bonds. He was the guy that won uh, uh, Defensive Player of the Year or something in the in the AAF. Um, he's a slot corner. He's been on the he's been on the practice squad. We've seen some some form of professional film on him, so I think he's a guy they could look at elevating. Um, I'd be very interested in. They also have Khalil Dorsey. I'm not sure. I don't know a whole lot about him, and again, we haven't gotten to see him. So for me, it's it it comes down to they want to go slot corner or safety. If they're looking at the practice squad, I'd be comfortable with either Bonds or Warrior. Um, I mean, I really want to see Warrior play. I'm super bummed that I didn't get to see him in a pra- practice squad or in a 
sorry, a preseason game, but I'd love to see that move. Um, he, he got some pretty good reviews, but again, I don't think you're going to get that slot cornerback skill set. But then that raises the question, are you really going to activate a guy like Terrell Bonds off the practice squad and then start him? So probably not. So, I mean, if they're going to go the route of elevating practice squad, that means they're going to move Marlon Humphrey inside and probably find that safety depth. So based on that logic, I think Nigel Warrior makes the most sense. Yeah, and, and I think so, too. Warrior showed in practice, at least, that he could be a nice fit at the NFL level. Now, obviously, you're right. No preseason. Couldn't see the film of him going up against, you know, real live action. But I still think he, he showed that potential. But moving on a bit here, another question by Russ Parham. He asks, my question would be, do you think the Ravens would fare better bringing in an inline tight end to help with the blocking because I don't believe that there's quality online help this time of year. So, Colt, what do you think about all of that? Do you think they're bringing in an inline tight end to kind of help with blocking because Baltimore seems to be struggling a, a bit in that area would be beneficial, or do you think they're good where they are? I think they're good where they are, and the only reason I say that is because they have Patrick Ricard and Nick Boyle as those those guys, and they're 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 the ones playing those inline roles or as H backs doing the sniffer blocking role. Um, I don't think you're going to find anyone better than that because the issues are really um, along the offensive line. So you could bring in another guy and really load up, but you're just tipping your hand. Like if you have Nick Boyle and another blocking tight end like no one's they're gonna put eight nine in the box so i think unfortunately the the hope in the run blocking game is going to be that the offensive line improves with uh with some more experience building some more chemistry um and i, I think we saw a little bit of improvement this week uh there there were some running lanes and against a pretty stout front uh again as much as cleveland's offensive line is underrated i actually think their defensive line is underrated too uh ogan joby and, and and richardson are really solid and they gave them a lot of problems but in terms of bringing in a blocking tight end i think it's going to just result in guys loading in the box and and knowing you're going to probably be running it um we already have enough issues with that with ricard they they throw so much or they run so much when he's on the field so if you tip your hand even more it kind of defeats the purpose so i personally wouldn't go that route um unfortunately i think our hope is really either on making a change along the offensive line or those guys those guys gelling as things progress through the season right i, I totally agree with you cole and another question by ben walks ben asked can you talk about the offensive line? So a very broad question there, and I kind of want to make it a little bit more specific for you. You mentioned maybe, you know, the potential of making a change along the offensive line. Now, I don't think Baltimore is going to go that route yet, but if you kind of see some struggles from Matt Skura or from Tyra Phillips still when you look at week three, maybe it continues into week four, could you see Baltimore making a change to the offensive line, and where would you see that change coming? I could definitely see them making that change. Um, it's always hard to make it before you hit your bye week. I, I, the bye week is a nice transition period. And if we re, if we go back to Orlando Brown's rookie season, they had James Hurst start that season as the right tackle. And then during the bye week, Orlando Brown took over right tackle duties and they moved Hurst into left guard. And so that, that week allows you, you know, the transition time and then you're not – 
trying to make that shift as you're preparing for a game. So uh, do I see them making that change early? I don't necessarily, um, mostly because they're still winning games and it hasn't been a complete liability. Um, I mean, no one wants their quarterback getting pressured like we've seen Lamar, but you know he's still getting his passes off. I know that isn't the best rationale, but until it's like Geno Gradkowski style where it's a complete liability to be able to even pass the ball, I don't think we're going to see that. As for what change to make, I think you'd see Patrick McCarry take over for Skura first, and the reason I say that is the limitations that we're seeing from Tyree Phillips through, through, through two games are the limitations you're probably going to see from DJ Fluker. It's slow foot speed and pass protection. It's, um, you know, poorly identifying these assignments. Uh, So I'm not sure what the upgrade is going to be. Obviously, you're getting a more experienced player, but he's still going to have slow feet. So, you know, are you going to have the same issues? Probably. Whereas with Makari, you know, he uh, it's one block and I don't want to, you know, overblow a small sample size, but the way he delayed before making that level two block on Mark Ingram's wildcat touchdown, like that was, he, he has such a high level IQ of identifying the defense. Like it, it is out of this world. So I, that's the change I would make. Um, I, I also just think Matt Skur is not healthy. So it, it's kind of like, why are you playing a guy that's not a hundred percent? Um, because Matt Skura did not play like this last year. So either he's not healthy or his new 100% is just so far below what his 100% was last year where he was really developing into a solid center. Yeah, and I think with this, we're kind of seeing the Matt Skura of two years ago, of three years ago, with, with his play. I'm not saying he is the Matt Skura of two years ago or three years ago, but you know, there's, there's going to be a point where Baltimore, if they don't see that improvement, they're just going to have to make the changes and I think that Makari, you're right. You don't want to overblow one block, literally one block. But he performed really well when he was put into the game against Houston. So at least you have that to work with. And Makari showed that he could at least play at the NFL level during his time replacing Skura last season. But, Cole, your offensive line analysis, it, it, it's wanted throughout these questions. Another question from media's worst nightmare. They want a player-by-player offensive line evaluation. <laughs> By you with, with an emphasis on Matt Skura, Tyree Phillips, and Orlando Brown and their improvement slash regression. So I'm going to make this a little easier on you, Cole. And just with the starting five right now going left to right, what have you liked and not liked from each player? Just a little quick thing. Uh, Stanley's been solid. If I had one criticism itself, um, other than that, I mean, he, he's just so solid. Uh, Bradley Bozeman, again, like I mentioned uh, at the start of the show, Super solid. I, I don't have a lot to critique right now. He's just not standing out in a negative light on film. Matt Skura, it's it's really his mobility. Um, he, he's not able to get in front of a guy to mirror before he drops his anchor, and he's he's losing a lot of uh, a lot of pass reps just off off of his shoulders because he, he's his feet aren't there. Tyree Phillips, it's his 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 foot speed and pass protection, but also his stride length. Um, he's going way too wide and he's losing. Uh, losing his balance because he's just getting stretched out. That's why I compare it to how you kind of take strides as an offensive tackle. You're you're covering more ground, and he needs those quick feet, quick choppy feet. And if you go back to my Film Don't Lie article in, in, from week one, you'll, you'll see the last clip in that article is him doing it against the Browns, and he looked phenomenal, short, quick steps. And I think it's just going to be building that consistency. Orlando Brown, I honestly think it's conditioning. I, I think he I think he's not... 
100% with his conditioning, and I think he's coming out of a stance slower. He doesn't have an injury that I'm aware of, so I don't know what else would cause that type of regression because it really does look like foot speed, but he was pretty quick on his feet last year, so it was it was a weird regression to see. So I think that hurt him not having an offseason. Yeah, the offseason, not having that offseason just decimated players. And, and, you know, you're seeing it with the injuries. You're seeing it with kind of regression with some players. But I think Orlando Brown Jr., he, he's going to be all right. But but apparently I did miss a question about Tavon Young. It was, it was under your tweet, Cole. And it's from Sports Nerd. And he asks, how should the Ravens adjust to the loss of Tavon Young, but specifically with all of the Chiefs' weapons? How do you see that playing out? I think they're going to use a lot of dime. Uh the reason I say that is because they can get very creative with the blitzes that we are expecting them to uh, send. One thing that I noticed uh, from from film study, so Ken McCusick, he just put out the uh, defensive charting numbers, and they didn't play base once on uh, once on Sunday. They played a ton of nickel, and then they played less dime than they have in the past. They played a lot of dime last year, and I think that was mostly because they lost their slot corner and had had to make the adjustment with moving Marlin inside. So I think they're going to play a lot of dime that allows them to show a variety of coverage looks at those guys, but also to do a little bit, uh, a little bit of speed rushes with some of the DBs. Um, you know, you can line up Anthony Levine outside and bring him off the edge. You can, you can do stuff with Elliot, which we've seen them blitz Elliot quite a bit this year. Um, so I, I, I think we're going to see heavy dime personally. Yeah, and, and I think that's honestly Baltimore's best bet. You know, the Chiefs are going to be looking to tear the Ravens up in the slot. They're also going to be looking to probably target Anthony Averett because where are you throwing the football if you're the Chiefs? Are you throwing it at Marlon Humphrey? Are you throwing it at Marcus Peters or Jimmy Smith? You're probably going to target the now fourth cornerback on the Ravens team. And so Averett is going to have to grow up. But I think Dime is the best bet for Baltimore right here. We're going to head into our final break now. And when we return, we're going to be getting a little bit more into our fan mailbag, getting through the rest of the questions, talking about week three against the Chiefs, Gus Edwards and more. So stay tuned for that. And we'll be right back. Invest in your intuition. Use promo code LOCKDOWN and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. And we are back with our final segment of this Locked On Ravens Purple Wednesday episode. Kevin Ostriker is still here with Cole Jackson. And Cole, we'll save the Chiefs questions for the end just to kind of preview week three a bit there. But I want to talk first about what Dylan Leininger had to say. And he asks, with the Gus bus on his contract year, was Sunday a day to let him showcase himself with all the running back injuries across the league? Or do you see him staying with the Ravens? So, Cole, I want to ask you about that question, but also kind of adding on to it. Part of the second part of that question is, do you see him staying with the Ravens? Do you see him staying with the Ravens this season and also long term? Well, it was interesting. Uh, we talked about it last week when when Dobbins outtouched Ingram, and I mentioned I think they're going to go with the hot hand, and I, I think this was something similar. One, one adjustment the Ravens made at halftime was when they came out, uh, I think, to try and help out the offensive line with their run blocking. They they ran more option concepts, that, that read option up the middle, and no one runs that better on the team than Gus Edwards. Um, at least that's what he's been so good at last year. He on I charted the... Uh, the offensive uh, play calling last year with uh, my colleague, Michael Crawford, and he, he did our run game charting and he was 8.3 yards per carry on option concept. So I think when they saw the game, 
going that way and they said we need to get the options to get the defensive line hesitating they they turned to Gus and Gus ran away with it um as for his contract status I really think J.K. Dobbins is the future. Um, I think Gus is going to try and get paid when he can. Um, he's been on the the exclusive free agent. Now I think he's a restricted free agent, so he's not bringing in a whole lot. Um, the question is how much is he going to get on the market? Um, teams can look at his average and see that you know he has he runs at a high clip. He's very efficient, and a lot of that is running the option. So. My my wonder is if a team's looking at that and if they're breaking down the film to see how he's gaining those yards, are they going to see that he's a little bit more limited to, to running options? Like if you compare it to his other concepts, zone and, and gap runs, his, his average drops significantly on those. So that's really, I think, what it comes down to for me. I, I think he's in a very good situation because of Lamar Jackson's skill set and meshes really well with Gus Edwards skill set with those option runs. Um, so, you know, I, it's going to be tough to keep him around because I think he's going to be looking for his bag, but um, I I'd love to keep him around. I think he's an ideal third running back. He, he's efficient. He can run. He fits your scheme, your scheme. Um, he has a great attitude. He'll play special teams. I mean, what more could you ask? And, and Mark Ingram could very well be one of the cut candidate guys with uh, J.K. Dobbins, you know, looking like he might be the future of, of the backfield. Yeah, I definitely do think J.K. Dobbins is the future of the backfield. And I've said this before. I also agree and think Edwards is probably going to leave in the offseason. He, he just deserves to be a starter somewhere. He deserves to get, you know, a big workload. And with Baltimore, he can sometimes get a big workload. But as we've seen, he might get 10 carries one week and two the next. It's just a week-to-week thing with them. They're going to go with the hot hand. I definitely agree with you there, Cole. Our next question here comes from Kalen Hutchinson. And Kalen asks, does Washington, Broderick Washington, need more of Jelly's reps? So Justin Ellis's reps. And do you believe that Justin Metabuike has been kept? And do you believe Justin Metabuike has been kept out like a secret weapon since it seems he'll be available for the Chiefs game? Metabuike has been hurt with a knee injury for a few weeks, Cole, but it seems like he's going to be a decently big part of this defensive line rotation once he comes back from that injury. And it seems like Broderick Washington is impressed, and Jelly Ellis. Hasn't been somebody who's popped off the tape for me. What do you think of all that? Uh, so just to address Matabike, there's no way they're keeping that guy uh, under wraps. I mean, he, he's a rookie. Um, I think if he was able to get snaps, they'd have him out there. I, I just think he's not healthy. Um, but but it sounds like he's trending in the right direction. Um, I don't want to task a third-round draft pick with being our secret weapon going into uh, taking on the Super Bowl defending champions. So um, I don't personally think that. Maybe it's true, but uh, I, I do have a lot of high hopes for Matt BK. I loved his film. He's so athletic. He fits kind of what we want. And uh, I completely agree. Uh, last year when I watched Derek Wolf after we signed him when he was in Denver, I noticed that they were rotating him. Uh, almost every other series he'd come in and out. So there's a lot of snaps available and uh, Washington and Ellis have taken them. I thought Washington, he was my, he was my surprise player of the week last week. And a lot of that's relative to expectations, but he he played super well. And I don't think he, he didn't get very many snaps on this one. Um, But one of the issues I have with Ellis is very similar to some of the concerns we had last year with, 
having Brandon Williams as a three tech and Pierce at the one tech. And that's just the lack of athleticism that those two guys have beside each other. So what they would do is put one of the two at like more of a two eye technique. So closer to the inside of the guard. And that really exposes your B gaps. And we actually saw it last week against Cleveland. Uh, it was one of their one of their big runs. I think it was the Kareem Hunt run. They had Ellis at the two tech over top of the guard, um, and, and Hunt ripped it through that B gap because there's no one there. And that's just not Ellis's skill set. Um, he's really a one tech. He should be backing up Brandon Williams. I think he was only getting those snaps because of the injury to Matabike and them wanting to kind of ease Washington into it. Um, I'm not 100% sure. I have to go back and do an in-depth film watch of the defense. So that's something I'm going to look out for. But uh, I completely agree with you. I think those snaps are going to become Matabike's. Yeah, I, too, have really high hopes for Matabike. I think that overall, he's somebody who the Ravens can use in multiple different ways. But again, I just think that Ellis is somebody who hasn't really impressed me. You mentioned the lack of athleticism when both him and Brandon Williams are out on the field together. It's something where Baltimore has to kind of play a game of, all right, well, whenever Justin Ellis is in on passing downs, it seems like he's almost just a liability there because, you know, we heard the reviews from Raiders fans. It's when he's healthy, he's a really good run stuffer. But he hasn't shown that ability to get to the quarterback as much as you would like. And he's someone who has value and brings value to the Ravens, but just in certain situations, he's more valuable than others. But Cole, moving ahead to the Week 3 game against the Kansas City Chiefs, we have a couple of good questions. One from Otavio Moeller, and they ask, do you think that the Ravens will use more read option and RPO against the Chiefs? And do you think they use less these first two weeks because they were experimenting with some things? And he says, again, with the Chiefs, they will play it as if it was a playoff game using everything they know that will work. So, Cole, this is an interesting question. I think Baltimore probably will get back to the read option and, and some RPO stuff. And, you know, we didn't see it a bunch in the first two weeks. Again, a lot more as the second half progressed against Houston. But how do you see this offensive game plan going? I think that's a really, really good catch. And the reason I say that is because I felt last year when they played some of their bigger games. So I'm talking Seattle. I'm talking uh, the 49ers. I'm talking the Buffalo Bills. Um, they came out with a lot of options and I think what they were doing around those games and in the other games is they were trying to look at the progress that Lamar Jackson could make. So they were doing some different concepts, but when it came down to we're about to play a top team, I think they went back to what they thought could win right away. And that's the type of style they played in Lamar Jackson's first year when he took over a starter, um, they weren't as concerned about his stats. They didn't care about, you know, what it, what his runs pass splits are. They just wanted to win the football game. And that's how I expect them to look at it. Um, and I, th- I think we saw that adjustment against Houston where they said, you know, we got to run the ball to, to, to get our long drives going that we're known for. And that's the way I think you beat Kansas city. I mentioned it last week. They need to eat the clock. They need to, uh, they need to control that ball and keep it out of Patrick Mahomes hands. And I really think it just becomes an offensive slugfest. Like uh, I think both offenses match up with the defenses pretty well, especially with the injuries we, or the injury we just suffered. So I do think they go with more uh, read options. As for the RPO itself, we only saw one RPO last week from my count, and that was uh, a strike to Willie Sneed. We still haven't seen a ton of RPOs. Uh, the Ravens are used by the Ravens. I know everyone wants them. I want them. 
maybe this is where they unleash them. It's, it's obviously possible. The one thing is both that they've done this year have been completions. They were pretty successful with them last year. I think it's more about getting everybody comfortable with them before they start calling them a lot. Um, I hope to see them soon, but I really think this could be a heavy, heavy option run game for sure. Just to, just because they're going to want to win. And I think if you come out in that first, you know, the first drive, first couple of drives and you're running that, those options, I think that really puts the defensive line on their heels because they're going to, they need to read Lamar Jackson. They need to attack Lamar Jackson. So that really could be where they could take advantage in the, at the start of that game. Yeah, I, I think so too. Baltimore, I think this might be the week where we start to see some of those RPOs come out a little bit because, again, they want to do everything they can to win the football game, and the RPOs, I think, are a critical part to the Ravens' success on offense, although they haven't had to use them a ton over these first two weeks. But finally here, Cole, our last question comes from Brett Gayhart, and he asks, who do you think is a bigger key to getting a win on Monday night? Is it Tyree Phillips holding his own against Chris Jones or Anthony Avert stepping up in the secondary? I think it's got to be Tyree Phillips. And the reason I say that is because the Ravens can do some things schematically on defense. Um, and I mean, you can you can always scheme to help an offensive lineman. You can, you can you know, use slide protections. You can uh, use double teams. But at the end of the day, if the Chiefs are going to send pressure too, it's going to be a little bit harder for them to scheme around that. So I think they can use the dime. They can use some things. They can even use Avert as a blitzer. Um, he's very athletic. He was, uh, I'm pretty sure he was a 100-meter um, SEC champion in, uh, in college. So he's got that sprint speed. Um, so that's a way he could he could contribute on defense without uh, or to scheme around him. I, it's going to be a tough matchup for Phillips. If, if he comes out and holds his own, maybe we'll see him uh, taking some steps. Or if all goes to crap, then you know we could see some early movement there. But uh, I, I personally think that uh, it's going to be more on Phillips. I think you can do a little bit less to help him uh, schematically than you can ever. Right, and at the end of the day, I think we know both offenses are going to put up a lot of points here. I think that you can do some things you mentioned to kind of go around and scheme around Avery, but with Phillips... If Jones is matched up on him and he's getting into the backfield, kind of like what we saw with J.J. Watt against Houston, it might be another day where Lamar Jackson has to work with pressure for most of the game. And obviously, you don't want that for your star quarterback. But Cole, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much once again for coming on the show. It's a big game coming up on Monday night, and hopefully Baltimore pulls it out and moves on to 3-0. Hopefully another uh, victory chat next uh, next Wednesday. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They're, it's better when there are victories, you know. <laughs> we are done here on Locked on Ravens. When we get back here tomorrow, it's more Ravens talk. Our crossover with Locked on Chiefs. So stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.